Well, it is wonderful to be in Winnipeg again. I love it when we come to Canada. So what a blessed country you have. And I mean that in almost every sense of the word. Uh, I do it, will, will say that it's not quite as blessed as Israel, but, <laughs> but it's close. And I'm, I'm so, uh, you should all be so happy that you have a prime minister like Stephen Harper, a man who loves God and who stands with Israel. Because I believe that a lot of your blessing comes from the fact that you have someone that is trying to act in a godly way and the head of your government. Well, I wanted to um, bring you a Hebrew word, and I was going to teach you a Hebrew word, but my husband did it first. He taught you the first Hebrew word, so I'll have to teach you the second one. Um, He taught you Mashiach, which is Messiah in Hebrew. Well, right now, we're in a time in Israel that is called a Moed time. So M-O-E-D would be the English uh, spelling. And that word is found in the Bible, uh, I believe it's over 200 times. It's, it is a word that means a special time, an appointed time, and an, a time when you meet with God. And right now in Israel, we're in the middle of such a time. In, in Israel, and you may have read it in the Bible when you're reading through the Bible, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, there's a whole list of times when God says these are the appointed feast times, and he gives them instructions on how they are to go through the feast. Well, right now in Israel, we're in an appointed feast time. On Tuesday, we had Rosh Hashanah, which is the Feast of Trumpets. You'll find that in Leviticus 23. And now we're in the 10 days before the Day of Atonement, which is called in Hebrew Yom Kippur. And during these 10 days, they're called the 10 days of awe, the people of Israel take special effort to make sure that everything is right between them and God and everything is right between them and their fellow men. So it's a very special time. That's why I believe that they chose this time to do a simultaneous prayer like Tom told you about. Well, a moed, it's not just an appointment that you make. It is something that God invites you to be a part of. And so I think that it is a very special thing to take account of. And in our years of living in Israel, we have been really excited. In fact, when we first moved there that first year, we were so excited because we realized all the holidays were in the Bible. You know, in America, where I grew up in the United States, it wasn't that way. You know, we had Valentine's Day and, you know, all these holidays that weren't in the Bible. And then we moved to Israel and the holidays are all holy days. And this is, uh, this is what we're at right now in Israel. So it's a good time to pray for the people of Israel because they've already got their mindset on doing things that God told them to do. Well, I'd like you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 102, and I'm going to show you another place where this word moed appears in the scripture. So if you'll go to 102, verse 13, and I'm going to, I'm reading out of the New King James. It says, you will arise and have mercy on Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come. And when it says set time, that's moed. The Moed time, the time that I'm inviting you to meet with me from God, that time has come. It says, for your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favor to her dust. And so the nations shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord shall build up Zion and he shall appear in his glory. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up learning and hearing about Bible prophecy and hearing that the coming of the Lord was imminent. And uh, my father, who was a Bible prophecy teacher, his name was Dr. David Allen Lewis, he would, he would say, be ready, be ready. The Lord is going to be coming. We don't know when, but he's going to be coming. You need to be ready to go tonight. And then he would say, and buy life insurance. Uh, because we don't know exactly when he's coming, but we're living in this time of expectancy. What I love about this passage is that the Lord is saying, have favor on Zion. The time has come, and then he links it to his coming. And I believe we are in those times. Not long ago, I was asked to speak to a Bible school that was studying, the class was studying the book of Ezekiel. And I stood up in front of them and said, it's wonderful that you're studying this great book of Ezekiel. But I have to tell you, I'm living it. I am literally seeing the events prophesied by the prophet Ezekiel happening in front of my eyes. We have a friend in Israel. His name is Yaakov Kershon. He, he was a self-profaned atheist. He would say, he said, I don't believe in God. How could anybody believe in God after the Holocaust? After a few years, he said to us, he said, you know, I'm no longer an atheist. I've decided that I'm an agnostic. I'm just not sure if there's a God or not. Well, then we had him come and speak at a Bridges for Peace event and uh, about current events. He's a political cartoonist. And he stood up in front of us and he said, I've been reading the book of Ezekiel. And he said, you know, it's like reading today's newspaper. He said, I look at the newspaper and then I look at Ezekiel. And he says, I'm having, I'm, I'm, I'm really having an amazing experience. He said, in fact, he says, I'm having a crisis of unbelief. I'm not sure if I can keep not believing because it's so, it's so real to today. And um, we are living in very important days. We're living in the days of the Bible. I have people come to Israel all the time on pilgrimage and they say, oh, wouldn't it have been wonderful to be here in Bible times? And you know what? We have to just sort of chuckle because we, we know we're there in Bible times. These are the days when God is fulfilling his prophetic word. And in the book of Ezekiel, more than 50 times, God says, I'm going to do this. And then he says something significant. It's so the nations will know that I am God. The book of Ezekiel is, is coming to pass in our day as a proof that God is who he says he is. He's somebody that can tell prophets something to write down 2,500 to 3,000 years ago and then can make it literally come to pass in our time. And if the eyes of the world would notice, they would find out that we serve a God who doesn't forget his promises. Even if it's 2,500 years, he still fulfills them literally. Now, I would love to just take you through the book of Ezekiel and scripture after scripture after scripture show you what I'm talking about. But we'll just mention a couple of things and then we'll talk about a couple of things that are still to happen. First, if you read in Ezekiel chapter 36, it talks about a day when, when God speaks to the mountains of Israel and says, put forth your fruit for my people are soon to come home. Well, a hundred years ago, the land of Israel had hardly any trees. The Turks had taxed the trees and the peasants had cut them down and there was less than a thousand trees in the whole land of Israel. The topsoil was eroded. There were, there were deserts in the south and malarial-filled swamps in the north and nobody could live there hardly. It was such a desolate place. 
Today, if you were to visit Israel, you'd see a far different reality. Millions and millions of trees, fruit being exported to all parts of the world. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if you haven't had fruit from Israel here in in Winnipeg in your supermarkets at some time. God is restoring a depleted, tired land. And at the same time, that same passage of scripture talks about the land being restored. And then it talks about the people of Israel coming back from the lands of their dispersion. Well, over the last hundred years, we've been watching that happen. Today, there are Jews in Israel from over a hundred nations. They, they came speaking over 80 languages. And now the ancient language of Hebrew has been revived. And they're, they're living in the land that God promised to their forefathers. And he then promised through the prophets. He says, even though you've sinned and I'm going to spread you all over the world. He says, I'm going to bring you back. And today we live in that time when we see it. In fact, in the 23 years we've lived there, we have seen over a million Jewish people come back from from the lands of the former Soviet Union. And uh, we hear Russian spoken on every on every corner these days. Even small prophecies are fulfilled, literally. It's amazing. And I encourage you. Uh, this, is, this is something that's so encouraging to my faith. Because a God who is faithful to keep his promises to people who haven't been always faithful in return is the same God that will be faithful to keep his promises to me. And I don't know about you, but I'm not always as faithful as I should be. And it's such an encouragement. You don't have to be perfect. Because God is the one on whom the promises are based. And he is perfect. Well, we've been involved in a lot of these things, and it's, and it's been a real blessing. But there are some things coming uh, that we also believe that God will literally fulfill. And if you move on in Ezekiel, you come to Ezekiel 38 and 39, where it talks about the battle of Gog and Magog. And this is a, this is a topic that many Bible prophecy teachers have taught about. And it um, can be confusing, and I'm not going to be able to unravel all of it, but I want to give you some insights into it today. In Israel, the Jewish people generally are not real open to talk to Christians about Bible prophecy. They find that many of our teachings and our theories sound like they're going to, they're going to be hurt or it's going to cause them a lot of pain. And so over the years, I haven't found that that was a subject that were, they were really open to discuss. Well, about a year and a half ago, that all started changing. And I want to just tell you that uh, about a few instances that I have experienced. In February of last year, uh, you will recall on the news screens there was scenes of, of mass demonstrations in Arab countries, including Egypt. And about that same time, I invited an Israeli military colonel. He was retired. I invited him and his wife to a dinner with our board. And uh, I was sitting next to him, my husband next to his wife, because she doesn't speak Hebrew. And by the way, if anybody wants to speak Hebrew, Tom is pretty much fluent. And so I turned to this man, his name is Danny, and I said, Danny, what do you think about what's happening in Egypt? Remember, if, if you recall, there was fire and there was, there was guns going off and it was, it, was, it was chaos. And I expected from Danny to have a geopolitical explanation of what was going on in the region because when I've asked him similar questions in the past, that's what I've received, an analysis So I was really surprised when he looked right in my eyes and he said, Becky, he said, God is getting us ready for Gog and Magog. Could have blown me away. Very surprised. Well, 
in the in the days after that, I started having conversations with a lot of people where they would bring this topic up. And I came to realize that it is a topic that is being talked about increasingly in Israel. I was in one of the one of the places where we distribute food. And I asked the woman manager there, I said, how many immigrants do you help in this, in this food center? She said, oh, about 60% of our, of our clients are immigrants. And I got excited and I said, well, that's wonderful. It makes me think of the prophet Ezekiel and how he said that the Jewish people would come back. Isn't it wonderful that we can partner together to help meet their needs when God is bringing them back to the land? And then she got excited and she says, yes, she says, we're all talking about Ezekiel. And she said, and she said, we know that the next thing is the, is the battle of Gog and Magog. And, and then it's Havle Mashiach. And Havle Mashiach means the birth pangs of Messiah. And she said, and then we're going to be under the rule of Messiah. Really amazing conversations. Um, I heard a rabbi's wife who talked about Havle Mashiach. And she said, every mother knows that when the baby is on the way, that the closer it gets to the birth, the more the pressure will increase. And then when the, when the pains start, the pains will get stronger and stronger and stronger until the mother doesn't know if she can handle it anymore. And then it's mazel tov and the baby is here. And she said, and that's what the Jewish sages have said, that when the Messiah comes, before he comes, it'll be just like the pain of a woman giving birth. And the pain and the pressure will get stronger and stronger until the moment when the Messiah is here. So after that, I started asking people, saying, explain to me this, this thing I've heard about, this Havle Mashiach. And I found that the Jewish people started opening their hearts to explain to me their hope and anticipation of the coming of Messiah and their and their belief that he would deliver them in the time of Gog and Magog. Well, Gog and Magog, in this passage in Ezekiel 38, God describes a time when nations will come against Israel. It'll be a confederation of nations. It'll be led by someone by the name of Gog from the land of Magog. And then there's a whole list of other countries. Now, people, people dispute what the countries are because they're ancient names. But most scholars believe that Gog of the land of Magog is from Russia. And the next nation on the list is totally undisputed because the next nation on the list is Persia. Now, Persia is an old name for a place that today goes by the name of Iran. In fact, if you go to an Iranian, meet an Iranian somewhere, and, and refer to them as an Arab, they're most likely going to get a little bit upset with you because they don't consider themselves Arabs. And they'll say to you, I'm not an Arab, I'm a Persian. In fact, in, in parts of uh, Iran, they still speak the Persian language. So we are coming up, I believe, to a place in time, and while I will not set any dates or give you any progression on when the Lord's going to come back and when the battle is going to be and so on. We're coming to a place where it's very plausible that Gog and Magog could be just around the corner. Um, I was sitting in my office two weeks ago. In fact, it was two days before I left on this trip. And a man that works in the Knesset, 
which is Israel's parliament, called up and said, I really need to meet with Becky. My schedule was so full because I was getting ready to leave, but my assistant came to me and she says, will you meet with him? And I said, if you can come between this time and this time, I can squeeze him in. He sat in my office and he said, he says, I think Gog and Magog is coming between September 27th and October 1st. Wow. I said, well, why do you think that? He said, he says, well, Netanyahu is talking more and more about the need to deal with Iran. And he said, he has pushed really hard to have a meeting with Obama on the 27th of September. Now, of course, we know now that Obama has refused to meet with him. But he said he's going to be in New York for a meeting. He's going to be speaking at the U.N., and he wants urgently to speak to the leadership of the United States. He said, I believe that he's going to tell him that Israel is going to attack Iran. And then he went on to say that Iran has said that on October 1st that they will have an increased capability to deliver an atomic weapon. So he put it at a very near... I, I, that's one person's theory. But what I'm trying to communicate to you is that in Israel, there is this expectancy that something big is going to happen very soon. And I think that as we as believers read these passages and realize that God says throughout them that I'm going to use this to show that I keep my promises and that you can trust me, you can trust this word, that we as the people that follow him need to be aware and we need to be praying into these situations. Well, it's not clear to me, like I said, when it's going to happen. It's not clear to me how long it's going to take. Uh, It's not clear to me how much disruption it's going to bring into everyday life in Israel. Although, of course, as someone living there, I need to be concerned about that. Um, it's not clear how much, um, how much difficulty, how many people will be killed. There's so many things that are unclear. But I am clear about one thing, and that is that God has placed Bridges for Peace and our volunteers and myself and my husband there to minister to the people of Israel in a time of crisis. And I do ask you for your prayers as we stand there. Well, I want to um, tell you a little bit and I'm scrolling through to find where I want to be. There's so much we could talk about this, and I have, I have notes that could last three hours. <laughs> so I'm picking and choosing. First of all, just looking at what's happening in the world, how does it fit? Russia used to be in a war or a cold war with the United States and the West. You all probably remember that or have read about that. But right now... Um, Maybe it's just the way I'm looking at the world, but I don't see that Russia has any really big enemies. I don't, America is not a big threat to, to Russia as far as I can tell. It doesn't seem to me like there's this huge, huge threat against Russia. So why then are they involved in a rearmament program where they are planning to spend $650 billion in arms? Why, what are they preparing for? Why have they sided in the United Nations with the, with the rogue uh, situation in Syria where the Syrian leader is killing his own people? 27,000 people is the estimate of, that have been killed in the last two years by government forces in Syria. Why is Russia siding with them? Why is Russia helping Iran to get nuclear weapon capability? 
Why do they have nuclear submarines in the Mediterranean Sea? Why have they made an agreement with Syria to have a port at Tartus on the, on the sea? Um, these are questions that I think need answering. What is happening in Iran? Now, on this, you, you, you don't have to go back farther than yesterday or today's paper. Yesterday, the commander of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, a Major General Ali Jafari, said this, Owing to the speed of the Islamic Revolution, this cancerous tumor, Israel, is challenging us to war. It's not clear when this war would take place. He says, war may break out. If the Zionists start something, that will be the point of their annihilation and the end point of their story. His comments came a day after General Amir Ali Hajazada, who heads the Revolutionary Guard Corps Airspace Division. He was presenting a new Iranian-made air defense system, which was ready to protect Iran from attacks. During the parade to show off the new system, he, he warned Israel, so he took time out of his parade to, to do this, saying that a war with Iran would lead to the destruction of the Jewish state. The Zionist regime is capable of starting the war, he said, but the final moment of the war will be in our hands. In that case, there will be no Zionist regime anymore. Ahmadinejad, the president of Iran, regularly threatens Israel with annihilation, saying, I can kill six million Jews in six minutes. Well, there's six million Jews in Israel, so he's threatening to wipe out the entire population. Iran has sent warships through the Suez Canal, uh, right past the, in the waters, the international waters, past Israel. They're building a permanent naval base in Syria there. And recently, Iran called for other nations to join them in a coalition to destroy Israel. A coalition of nations bent on destroying Israel. It sounds like it's right out of the pages of Ezekiel. We have in the region around us, we have the nations are on fire. Of course, last year everybody thought Arab Spring would mean a new emphasis on democratic government and that it would be like the West, like Canada, like the United States, where people had a right to say how they would live and they would live in a good life and a moral life. Well, you know what? Democracy works when you have shared values. Democracy, uh, trying to export democracy from the, our kind of governments in the West to an area of the world that does not have the same values doesn't work. Yes, they will choose, but they choose an Islamic type of regime, which has proved already, already, not to be a spring, but rather a winter. Of course, just a week and a half ago, you saw them burning the American flags in countries around the Middle East, and you saw ambassador to the United States killed after being dragged through the streets. This is, this is the atmosphere that we are experiencing right now in Israel. Now, in Israel, living there, I can tell you that they're getting the people ready for difficulties. They're distributing gas masks. They're uh, giving us instructions. Just this last week, I, I listened to a radio program, and there was a whole list of things that they told us to do, everything from 
putting your passports and your birth certificates in waterproof bags uh, to buying a month's worth of food to having $500 of cash per person in your family just in case there's disruption of the banks. Um, they And then at the very end, they said, and, and basically put all of this stuff in your emergency bag that you're ready to pick up and take it at a moment's notice. And I looked at Tom and I said, I don't think I can even pick that bag up. There's so much stuff on that list, <laughs> including uh, the 30 days supply of food. It was 60 cans of tuna fish per person. I said, I can't pick up 120 cans of tuna fish. Uh, but at any rate, the point is, is that the people in Israel are getting ready for something big. And uh, God has told us through his prophet Ezekiel that there would come a day when these people, that, that the nations would come up against Israel. I think it's coming, and I think it's sooner than we expect. Well, the good news is that God comes against these enemies of Israel and defeats them. And Israel will still be there afterwards. So people ask me all the time, is Israel going to be destroyed? And I say, no, absolutely not. They have a written guarantee. God will fight on behalf of, of Israel. The question I have is, what about the rest of the world? Will you stand with God and what he's doing, or are you going to stand with the other side? And that is something that you probably are going to have to ask yourself in the days to come. When all the nations of the world come against Israel, it's not going to be a popular thing to say, I believe what God says. Israelis are trying to obtain passports from other countries. One, one family I heard about is trying to get passports to Poland. And I said to my friend that told me about it, I said, why Poland? Poland is the site of most of the terrible things that happened in the Holocaust. So many of your people were killed there. So many of the concentration camps were there. It's a place of, of, of bad memories. Why would they try to get a passport to Poland? And the man I was talking with said, you don't understand, Becky. It's the only place in the world that they possibly could get a passport from because their grandparents were from there. So there's a lot of fear in Israel right now. And there's a lot of praying in Israel right now. God is able to use those prayers to reveal himself. I just read the, the, a, a day or so ago and I saw pictures. Thousands and thousands of Jewish people are gathering at the Western Wall every day. They're saying prayers of slichot, which is prayers of repentance. They're asking God to bless their nation. And as you heard Tom say, they're asking God to send Messiah. This is an an exciting spiritual time because when people pray, God listens. God is going to act. Uh, We were asked right before we left to come in and organize a blood drive from our staff because they said we have a critical supply shortage in blood supplies in Israel right now. If there's war, will Israel have enough blood supplies? Uh, So we're we're trying to to do what we can, and 16 of us gave blood about two and a half weeks ago. Netanyahu is standing up on the world stage, and he's saying to the world, he says, the world says, Israel, wait, there's still time. And he says, but I say, wait for what? Wait until when? Who's going to help us? He's pushed for the nations to come out in a coalition to stand against 
Iran getting nuclear weapons, and the nations have not backed him. In fact, last week, the U.S. made it clear that they would not back him. But Stephen Harper, <laughs> he, he pulled all of their diplomats out of Iran. I think that was a pretty bold move, and I applaud him for that. Well, we don't know, like I said, we don't know when it's going to happen, and we don't know exactly how it's going to fall out. But we do know that God is going to come to the rescue. But I must admit to you, the method, as someone who lives there, the method seems a little difficult. You know, I would really prefer, you know, if they would just fall over or something, and you didn't have to have a major earthquake and pestilence and blood and hail and brimstone, you know, uh, because it seems to me like it's going to be really difficult to do that in sort of a surgical way, and you know. So, so um, I really do ask you to pray for, for us that are there in Israel that God will be with us and give us uh, safety in the midst of everything. I've been in Japan since the great earthquake there, and I've seen the devastation caused by an earthquake. Uh, you know, we don't pray for God to bring terrible destruction. But we know it's going to happen. What we can pray is for his mercy in the midst of it. Well, God has put on our hearts at Bridges for Peace that we will be ministering to the people of Israel in a time of crisis. And some of you have... Uh, a couple of people here that actually have volunteered in our food storage center in northern Israel. We have now about 500 tons of food stored for time of emergency. The city of Carmiel in, the, in northern Israel has added us to their emergency planning committee. We've been given special permits for our team to move around in time of war. Because when you have war in Israel, basically the population is told to stay in bomb shelters. And they don't, the streets become empty. But if we are going to be part of supplying the food to the people in need, then we have to move around. So we're, be, we're being given permits so our trucks and our staff can move around and can deliver food to people in shelters. Well, all of this is going to happen. When? Maybe, maybe soon. The result is in Ezekiel 38, verse 23. And it says this. It says... Let's turn there. It says, Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and then they shall know that I am the Lord. This is a redemption plan. God is showing and I think it's something that we can, we can use in our talking with people as they're talking about these events, as they start to transpire. As you see these things happening in Israel, then you can go to Ezekiel and say, look, 2,500 years ago, God said this was going to happen. And look, God said that when you see the earthquake, when you see the fire and the brimstone, you're going to know that it's me that's doing it. God wants us to communicate who he is to the world. Well, it goes on in the next chapter in verse 22, 39, 22. It says, so the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord, their God from that day forward. So we're looking at something that sounds like it's a really bad thing, but in the end, it's going to be a very, very good thing that the nations and Israel will know that God is alive. 
and that he is working in their behalf. So it is God's plan that the people of Israel would know him, that they would love him, and that they would put their trust in him. So join me in your prayers for the people of Israel, that they will do that. Romans 11, verses 26 to 27 says, All Israel will be saved. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 62, verse 10 says, Remove the stones, remove the stones from the way of my people. And in our work at Bridges for Peace, as we give out food, as we show love to the Jewish people, something that most of them have not experienced from a Christian before, I believe that we're removing stones, that we are making the way smooth before the Lord. Well, what should we do in in all of this and all that's happening? First of all, let me say that God did not give us Bible prophecy so that we would be afraid. In fact, if, um, if you're battling with fear in any area of your life, I'm going to say something that may seem a little strong, but it's sin. And you need to ask God to remove it from your life. You need to repent of it. Because anything that is not of faith is not of God. And faith is believing that God will be with you in times of trouble. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is believing that everything bad is going to happen to you. So fear is not from God. And I am not, I do not believe that God gave us Bible prophecy so we would be afraid. I think he gave us Bible prophecy so that we would recognize what he is doing and we would cooperate with him. That we would ask him, God, I see you're at work. God, I see you've brought the Jewish people back. Lord, I see that what you're, how the prophecies are coming to pass, how they're all lining up. Lord, I believe that you are coming again. How do you want me to be involved in what you're doing today? You see, I could have been born at any time in history. But God chose for me to be alive today chose for you to be alive today. He has a plan and he has a purpose for each one of us in his plan and purpose. So I'm asking him, God, what do you want me to do? I see you're at work. I see your hand through what you said in your word. So what do you want me to do? What is my role? How do you want me to partner with you? Well, I also want to just close now with giving you a thought about prayer. I have people come up to me all over the world and say, Becky, I'm praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And I'll say to them, it's so wonderful. I'm so glad. Thank you so much for praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Can I just ask you, how do you pray? And they get this funny look on their face like like they just told me and I'm not listening. And they'll say, well, you know, I, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I'll say, well, that's wonderful. But you know what? If you pray general prayers, you get general answers. Don't you think maybe it might be a good idea to pray specific prayers? Uh, I remember a story that I heard growing up when my dad was a, an evangelist in a, in a little town in Michigan. And my dad had a little portable typewriter that he carried with him in his car and he'd use for, to write his articles. And the pastor of this church in Michigan came up to him and he said, Brother Lewis, he said, I just know I could do so much more for the kingdom of God if I had a little portable typewriter like that. And every day it was something about this portable typewriter. And, and my dad, frankly, got just a little bit tired of it. And so, so he said, listen, let's get down on our knees and ask God to give you a typewriter. 
So they got down on their knees, and my dad said, and I don't remember the man's name, but my dad said, God, you see the need of this pastor here. You see how he could do more for your kingdom if he had a typewriter. So I just pray that you would bring him a royal manual typewriter, a turquoise blue and a pebble gray case, and that you do it by 2 o'clock this afternoon. (laughs) Stood up. Two o'clock that afternoon, a deacon in the church knocked on the door of the pastor's house. And he said, Pastor, I don't understand why I'm doing this, but I felt like God spoke to me and told me to bring you this, so here. And it was a, it was a turquoise blue royal typewriter in a pebble gray case. You know, we pray like we don't expect anything. So I'm going to give you my specific prayers for the time of the battle of of Gog and Magog. So when all these things start happening, will you join with me and pray specifically as well? Here's how I'm going to pray, how I'm already praying. First of all, I'm praying that when God's destroying the enemies that come against Israel, that he'll protect the Jewish people. Just like he protected the firstborns of the children of Israel when he attacked the firstborn in Egypt, he can protect the people of Israel. Secondly, I'm praying that when the earthquake hits, which one of the ways that he will attack is with a major earthquake, I'm praying that it will happen in the daytime. Why? Well, Israel has earthquake protection, um, I don't know what you call it, codes in their building code. And every building that's been built since 1980 is built to to withstand an earthquake. But every building that was before that was not built that way. And even though the government provides for funds if you retrofit your building, most apartment buildings built before 1980 have not been built to withstand an earthquake. So if it happens in the night, many of those buildings will come crashing down and many more people will be killed. But if it happens in the daytime when people are at school and they're at work, the, the casualties will be much less. So I'm praying specifically, Lord, let the earthquake be in the daytime. And I'm praying specifically that God will take what we have put into storage, the food that we have put into storage, and that in the time of need that it will not run out that the food will be enough to meet the needs of everybody that comes knocking on our doors, that we won't have to turn anyone away, and that either he'll supply with more food coming in and more food budget and us being able to buy more, or he'll multiply the food on the shelves. I'm praying that God will reach out to the people of Israel in these times of crisis and reveal himself to them in his fullness. So as you leave today, remember, God is at work, and you can be part of it. Remember what I told you, that the theme of Ezekiel is that the name of the Lord God would be known in the earth when people see what he's going to do. Pray that the eyes of the world will be opened and see our Messiah. Let me just close in prayer. Father God, I just want to thank you and praise you and worship you for what you are doing. I praise you that you are a God that sees everything, that knows everything, that cares about each one of us in every detail of our lives. Lord, I thank you that you cared enough to give the prophecies to the prophets 2,500 years ago that said these things would happen. And Lord, I just want to offer myself to you once again. I offer these dear people, Lord, I ask you to show us what is your plan and purpose for us as you fulfill your prophetic word. In the name of Jesus, 
Amen.